Warning, this episode discusses topics of mental health, suicide, and psychiatric abuse. If you suffer from mental illness, thoughts of suicide, or find these topics triggering, then this may not be the episode for you. Proceed with caution. And as always, welcome, my spookables. You are about to enter the world of humble hauntings. But first, a message from our friends at OctoberPod. Now, from Edward October comes a completely new kind of retro horror experience. A journey into the bizarre and horrifying world where nightmare and nostalgia coexist. Octoberpod. It saturates your streaming device with terror. Is one of these coeds the disciple of an elder demon? Or are they just playing occult games? Not so innocent occult games. Eager to test the limits of experience. An elder demon is stalking. October Pod, a retro horror show for bold individualists. Available now on YouTube, Vimeo, Podbean, Podchaser, and at OctoberPodVHS.com. And now, for today's story. An asylum on Earth, you say? Are you certain? Very well, then. I do have some books that might help us. Asylum history, newspaper articles, records, and such. Is there anything else you can tell me? Anything at all that you can remember about this place? Something evil was there? A creature or... Entity? Yes, it's it's not much, but it does narrow down the search for sure. The more we learn about you, the better our chances are of finding out what is after you and why. We better get started. No time for leisurely ghost stories today, I'm afraid. Come in, come in. Sorry to disturb you, Miss McAdams. 
The wayward sisters are holding council in the common room. They're telling everyone of Arcane's impending doom, I believe. Why are those witches always so dramatic? There will be no impending doom on my watch. We do, however, need to figure out how to stop our newest guests. Um, friend. A friend, huh? Well, less a friend and more an evil entity of which we have no current knowledge of. Sounds like quite the friend. This is Mr. Merle. He's the caretaker for Arcane. Mr. Merle, this is the stranger I was telling you about. Ah, yes. A pleasure to meet you, young traveler. And your name is? An excellent question, but one I'm afraid they won't be able to answer for now. They seem to have barely any memory prior to arriving at our doorstep. How peculiar. Do we have any plans for when their friend returns? We are working on that now. Actually, Mr. Merle, could you assist us? I need every book on Earth Asylums with supernatural disturbances. We might have a lead on who our guest is, and with any luck, what sort of creature is after them as well. I would be happy to assist you, Miss McAdams. The sooner we start this out, the sooner we can get things back to normal around here. Normal for Arcane, anyway. Wonderful. Let's get started, then. We'll begin here. The Bones of Bedlam. It's been a while since I've read this one. Beechworth Asylum, later known as Mayday Hills Mental Hospital, opened its doors in 1867 in Victoria, Australia. It was the second of three large mental hospitals in the town of Victoria and didn't close down until 1995. As with most early mental hospitals, Beechworth had good intentions. They just wanted to help. But with a history of very few patients making it out of the asylum alive, those good intentions were no match for people's ignorance concerning mental health. At its peak, it housed as many as 1,200 patients, with a pretty even split when it came to female and male residents. But with its unethical practices such as mass shock treatments, where a large majority of the patients were subjected to electrocution, it's easy to see why the souls here cannot escape the asylum walls, even in death. In fact, the wing where the mass shock therapy took place is known to be haunted by the sighting of a figure crouching against the walls. The bullpen, a nickname given to the wing that was home to the asylum's aggressive youth, is also a supernatural hotspot. It is said that heavy footsteps and the sound of doors slamming are frequent occurrences. The spirit of Arthur, a man who took care of the hospital's garden until his death, is also said to roam the grounds. You will know him by his green woolen jacket that he refused to take off in life. In fact, it wasn't until his death that people understood his attachment to this jacket. In life, Arthur worked hard in the garden, maintaining the grounds of Beechworth with complete dedication, earning 10 shillings a week for this hard work. 
but whether winter or summer, he was never seen without the woolen jacket, despite the staff begging him to take it off, fearing he would suffer from heat stroke. After he passed away, it became clear why he was so attached to it. Sewn into the green jacket was the man's life savings. But hauntings aren't always merely visual. In the early days of the asylum, a male patient went missing. This, of course, caused quite a stir at Beechworth, and the staff searched desperately to find him, but to no avail. Several weeks later, the resident dog known as Max was seen by a staff member chewing on something that reeked like death itself. When they approached the dog, it became clear why. It wasn't a dead animal that Max had found, but a severed human leg. This led to another search, which uncovered a dead and rotting corpse up in a tree on the hospital grounds. The man had been trying to make his escape, but never made it. When his corpse began to rot, his leg had fallen to the ground, the leg which led to the mystery of his disappearance being solved. It's said that even today, the smell appears as visitors wander the area. And then there is Waverly Place in Louisville, Kentucky. What started as a school soon became a hospital used to house tuberculosis patients in the 1900s. Built atop a hill, it was said that the location was perfect for the fresh air and sunlight that doctors believed helped during the recovery process of the White Plague. By 1924, it was able to take on 400 patients and their children, who would often play on the roof during their parents' heliotherapy. It was said that to this day you can still hear children laughing and playing on the roof of Waverly. When faced with such a deadly disease and such primitive treatment options, death was inevitable for many patients of the hospital. In order not to upset patients and keep morale high, the bodies of those who didn't survive were sent on gurneys through a tunnel connected to a railway. It was known as the Death Chute. Today, it is believed to be a concentrated area of supernatural activity and the source of many local legends. When a vaccine for tuberculosis was discovered, the amount of patients dwindled until it finally closed by the beginning of the 60s. But a year later, Waverly would open once more. Only now, it was referred to as Woodhaven Medical Services or Woodhaven Geriatrics Sanitarium, a home for the elderly and individuals with declining mental health. It would be 20 years before it was shut down due to staff's neglect of the patients. It was soon after that the hospital became known as a haunted location. It was said that a little girl could be spotted roaming up and down the halls of the third floor. Visions of a boy with a leather ball can also be spotted running along the halls. It's not uncommon to hear doors slam in the sanitarium, or even to see lights flicker in random rooms. 
even though the building no longer has electricity. Perhaps the most devastating stories center around the nurses who once worked in Waverly. Room 502 is notorious for its paranormal activity. Disembodied voices, shadow-like figures wandering about in the room, and unearthly noises are just a few occurrences in 502. It is said that in 1928, a nurse who was unwed and found herself pregnant was so depressed about her situation that she hanged herself in the room. It is unknown how long it took for the staff to find her body there. And that's not the only tragedy connected with 502. Another nurse who worked in this room plunged to her death just outside the window on the roof. The reason why cannot be determined, but there are many who suspect she had been pushed. Either way, it is clear that the horrors that took place in 502 have left enough of an impression to last a lifetime and then some. The poor souls who are bound there may never leave. And how can we discuss haunted asylums without mentioning the Bethlehem Royal Hospital? But you may know it better by its notorious nickname, Bedlam. Today, the word Bedlam is commonly used for someone or something chaotic or out of control. It is a word that originated from this very hospital, which was established in 1247 as a hospice. Bethlehem relocated in 1337, and by the 1400s, it began to admit mentally ill patients. The design of the new hospital included a foreboding entrance, which was, quote, flanked by two human sculptures racked with suffering, named melancholy and raving madness. It was the treatment of these patients that made the hospital so horrific. The patients were left in filthy living conditions, often chained or shackled to the walls, and some were even put into stocks to be restrained. The more violent patients were not only chained, but whipped and dunked in water in order to control them. This was considered part of their therapy, and it was far from the only treatments available. In fact, Aramis Darwin, the grandfather of Charles Darwin, developed what he called rotational therapy at Bethlehem. The treatment involved the patient sitting in a chair that had been suspended in the air, the doctor, then has the chair spun however quickly or slowly he deems necessary. The results often led to vomiting and an intense vertigo in the patients. It was seen as being very therapeutic for patients suffering from mental illnesses or distress. After the Great Fire of London, the hospital moved again just down the road on Moorsfield in 1676. When the new Bethlehem Hospital was completed, it became the first building created to specifically house the, quote, insane. But new building or not, patients continued to be abused by staff members. What's worse is that they allowed the public to pay for tickets to view the lunatics, as they called them. The mentally ill became like animals in a zoo for the general public. It was a practice that wouldn't be abolished until 1770. 
But despite the small improvements made to the treatment of patients later on, the living conditions and the therapy provided to the mentally ill was still far from humane. In 1814, the philanthropist Edward Wakefield visited Bethlehem and was horrified at what he found. The disturbing treatment of the patients was unbelievable to him, especially the treatment of those in what was known as the incurable ward. And no case was quite as horrific as that of the patient James Norris. According to Wakefield's observations, Norris was an American Marine who had been sent to the hospital on February 1st, 1800. His arms had been pinned to his side by iron bars, and he was chained to the wall by his neck. In fact, 55-year-old Norris had been kept in this position for over 12 years. Some of the most famous patients of this dark piece of history are still known to this day. A man known as Daniel is probably the most notable. At a towering height of 7 foot 6 inches, it wasn't hard for Daniel to stand out from the crowd. But it wasn't his stature that gained him his fame within the walls of Bethlehem. He was a well-read and scholarly man. A former porter of Samuel Cromwell, he was provided a private library that could accommodate his size, as was ordered by Cromwell himself. But Daniel was more than simply well-read. He was said to be a prophet and gained many followers during his time at the hospital. In fact, it is said that he predicted the 1666 Great Fire of London, the very fire that would burn down Bedlam and force the hospital to relocate to Moorsfield. A darker character of Bedlam would no doubt be the murderer Richard Dad, who, ironically enough given his surname, was confined to Bethlehem for the murder of his father. Rather than prison, it was determined that Richard belonged in an asylum. This was due to his reason for his patricide. You see, he was convinced he had stabbed his father to death because he believed he was actually the devil in disguise. During his time in Bethlehem, he turned to art and created several paintings that are considered classics even today. But some of the most notorious figures in Bethlehem's history weren't patients at all. Rather, they were the individuals charged with caring for the mentally ill. As was the case of John Haslam. Haslam was once the head of the management for Bethlehem, and he was as sinister as he was depraved. While people like the chief surgeon of Bethlehem, Brian Crowther, performed illegal dissections on the hospital's dead, Haslam took a sick pleasure in torturing the living. He used a wide variety of torture methods, believing that to cure a patient, one must first break their will. And though he believed in his methods firmly until he was dismissed from the hospital, Haslam, of course, never cured one single patient. Now you can imagine that a place as tragic as Bedlam had more than a few patients who stuck around from beyond the grave. The horrors that these people endured are simply unimaginable, and the traces of their suffering still linger within the asylum's walls. In the original location of Bedlam, where the Liverpool Street Underground Station was built, ghostly tales were not uncommon. In fact, there were more than a few sightings of mysterious figures appearing and disappearing in the tunnels. Often, the figures would appear on the security cameras, but soon vanish as quickly as they appeared. 
before the station was built, the land where the original hospital once stood still experienced strange phenomena. Many witnesses claim that the voice of a woman screaming and crying could be heard while in the area, and it was believed to be a former patient of Bedlam. Another woman, by the name of Rebecca Griffin, was buried on site. In life, she would desperately clutch a coin in her hands, an item she couldn't be parted with. Now it is said that you can hear her voice asking where her halfpenny has gone. And, with the former mass graves underneath the land, it's no surprise that the sound of screams from men, women, and children can be heard echoing throughout the station by night. Their skeletons may have been recovered and removed from the former hospital grounds, but their spirits remain. Hello, MJ McAdams here. Today's tales will continue after a brief message from our sponsors. So stick around. More haunts are waiting for you just around the corner. One simply cannot talk about notorious mental hospitals without mentioning the Western State Hospital, or it was once known, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Located in the heart of West Virginia, it was supposed to be one of the most revolutionary asylums of its time. The hospital was constructed from 1858 to 1881 and was originally designed to house 250 people. However, at its peak in the 1950s, it was home to over 2,600 patients. It remained open despite overcrowding until 1994. Trans-Allegheny was built using the Kirkbride plan. Advocated by the psychiatrist Thomas Story Kirkbride, these buildings were designed to have a high exposure to natural light and proper air circulation. Two factors believed to help heal those who suffered from mental illness. Buildings like Trans-Allegheny were created with many windows and had a batwing style floor plan. The asylum even had its very own farm, dairy, waterworks, gas well, and cemeteries. Although the intentions of this hospital were good, due to the popularity of the asylum and lack of proper funding, it would later become one of the most maddening and destructive asylums in the U.S. Due to its popularity, it wasn't long before Trans-Allegheny became overcrowded, which put the staff and the patients in serious danger. The spirits that still roamed the halls of this once hopeful hospital are proof that even good intentions can have terrible realities. Banging on pipes, strange balls of light, and the squeaking of gurneys down the hall are all common occurrences, but many of the ghosts here can be called by name. On the first floor, known as the Civil War Wing, which is the oldest part of the asylum, you might run across a spirit who is called Ruth. It's said that she has a deep hatred for men and had a habit of attacking them or throwing objects in their direction in life. Now she often becomes angry when they walk down her hallway. Her spirit is known to push men against the wall as they pass by. 
Ward 2 on the second floor is one of the least inviting parts of Trans-Allegheny. This is due, in part, to the violent and disturbing events that occurred on this floor. In one room, a male patient was stabbed 17 times by a fellow patient. A few rooms down from that, two other patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from the curtain rods. Shadowy figures are often seen moving about the ward, and voices have even been captured by an EVP at least once. Though the message was anything but inviting, the spirit caught on the EVP only said two words. Get out. On the third floor lives Dean. Dean, a nervous young man in life, was attacked by two fellow patients known for their violent nature. They hanged him, or tried to at least. But when their makeshift execution failed, they put a bed frame above him and positioned one of the four corners on his head. One held him down, and the other jumped on the bedpost until Dean was dead. Now his spirit paces about the room where he met his violent end. The third floor is home to two other spirits, a ghost known as Big Jim and a nurse called Elizabeth. Both apparitions have been seen on this floor, along with strange noises and doors closing on their own. But the most famous floor is quite possibly the fourth floor, where more than ghosts wander the halls. It is often said that the feeling of being watched is not uncommon here. Slamming doors, heavy breathing, moans, and even screaming coming from inside the electroshock room have all been heard while roaming the halls. Even the word demon has been whispered in the darkest corners of the fourth floor. The spirit of a soldier called Jacob is sometimes seen passing from room to room, but once spotted, he quickly vanishes through a nearby wall. A large, black mass is said to move about the wards on this third floor, and a creature known as a crawler, a humanoid-shaped shadow that moves on all fours, is often spotted skittering along Ward R. And then there is the most famous ghostly resident of them all, Lily. A staff favorite and a spirit with many visitors, the ghost of Lily is by far the most popular specter at Trans-Allegheny. Her tale is a tragic one. Lily was born in the asylum when her pregnant mother was admitted just before her birth. She grew up with the asylum walls as the borders of her world. At the age of nine, she was stricken with pneumonia and passed away. But her spirit still lingers in her room, which is now filled with balls, music boxes, dolls, and many other toys. These are gifts left by staff and visitors to the asylum. Lily loves playing games with people and has favorites among the staff and frequent visitors. The feeling of a small hand grasping your own is not uncommon while in this friendly ghost's room. 
She also communicates to her visitors with flashlights, and her favorite activity is to roll one of her balls back and forth to those willing to sit and play with her. A local historian, Shelley Bailey, has claimed to have interacted with Lily's spirit on multiple occasions. In one of these encounters, not only did they bounce a ball back and forth for nearly 45 minutes, but Lily also spoke to her. Bailey had brought her a box of Cracker Jacks on this visit. She placed the box down, and soon it began to move on its own. Though the box remained closed, Bailey heard the distinct sound of a box opening, and a crunching sound coming from the area the Cracker Jacks sat. It was later, while she listened to what her EVP had captured, that she heard it. A tiny but polite voice. The voice said only five words. Thank you for the snacks. There is something unsettling about these asylums. These old and decrepit buildings that were created in the hopes of helping ended up straying so very far from their initial goal. They became not places of hope and betterment, but a source of harm and unimaginable pain. The suffering still echoes among their halls. Lost voices wading in the darkness, the peeled wallpaper, the rusted medical equipment and broken bed frames are ghosts in themselves, a reminder of the horrors that rested behind closed doors from a time in history too close for comfort. Yes, things have gotten better, no doubt, but we still have a long way to go. The ghosts who wait in the darkness, the crawlers that lurk around the corner, and objects moving around of their own accord are all unsettling. Just being in any of these places is enough to send shivers down your spine. But sometimes the scariest thing in life is our own ignorance and how we treat others because of it. Sometimes the most frightening monsters are simply human beings at their worst. Ms. McAdams, over here. I think I found something. Let's see it then. Good gods. It's their picture. Stranger. Stranger, come have a look at this. I do believe Mr. Merle has found something. Is this not your picture here? That's what I thought. It's from an Earth newspaper dated the 31st of October, 2020. Hmm, that's not good. I heard that was quite the year. Let's see what it says. Patient escapes after asylum is attacked by a mysterious force. The individual in question, known only as Patient 9742, is highly dangerous and believed to be a powerful non-human entity. If seen... Contact your local authorities immediately, but do not engage with this individual for any reason. They are believed to be a highly aggressive and deadly being. Oh dear. It seems we've found far more questions than answers. 
It does look that way, doesn't it? I'm afraid, stranger, that it's no longer simply a matter of who you are, but what you are. Thank you for joining us today at Humble Hauntings. If you enjoyed today's tale, then feel free to leave a review and subscribe to our show. Don't forget to share with friends and family as well, because after all, when it comes to exploring the unknown, the more, the scarier. And remember, my spookables, home is where the haunt is. <laughs>